procrastination is solved by motivation, right? The opposite of procrastination is motivation. Then do another arrow to the right of motivation, the word ambition. Now, how do you get more ambition? The most important word in this conversation, vision. You know what they don't want to report on? No one gives a shit what happens to kids in inner cities that much. How often do you see? Once in a while, you'll see a big Ferguson case. You'll see the, the guy shot in Minnesota. You'll see massive one. But you know that happens every day. But they get bored. You know, in, in Los Angeles, 50% of calls to LAPD is domestic violence. But it ain't going to make it in the news because no one gives a crap about the media doesn't, it's not a sexy story, but I'll tell you what, husbands beating up their wives in front of their kids, alcoholism, which is usually what causes domestic violence or a big part of it, it's destroying the mental structure of tens of millions of kids who then become adults and become fucktards. That's what happens. Almost everybody marching a Ku Klux Klan thing, I guarantee you, had some traumatic event happen to them. They are mentally impaired. I And... Some of the people on the far left are also mentally impaired. I guarantee you. I'm an amateur student of psychometric tests. I promise you, if I test uh, Alex Jones, if I was to test half the people protesting, they're people with psychological issues. We have to produce a generation that doesn't have psychological issues. I read the newest report. says is, I think it's put up by the American Psychiatric Association, the biggest, the APA. 25% of women in America have clinical mental problems and 15% of men. So one in seven men and one in four women um, have real mental illness. That's another thing we don't talk about because we talk about, we talk about that when they're homeless. You know, you see homeless people, most of them. But what about the freaking people with mental impairments that are your police officers, that are your government officials. I was just reading a book on human behavior, um, and they say, humans, if you get down to the science, we are not monogamous, but we're also not really polygamous. So... The average person in the world is not married to three people, even if they could, or even it, uh, even if it's legal, like it is in many countries, they're not. So would you agree with that statement? Or are we monogamous sexually? Is that how we're built? Because a lot of people want to believe that. Or are we built to just sleep with tons of people and never settle down? Okay, uh, I, I think what I would do is I would reframe the question. Okay. And uh, because I think that uh, what we have evolved is a menu of mating strategies. So those mating strategies include long-term pair bonds, where we basically hook up with one person for a long period of time. It also includes short-term mating, opportunistic sex copulation. Uh, it also includes uh, serial mating, mating with one person breaking up, mating with another person for a while breaking up. Uh, and it also includes um, a, a mating with more than one person at the same time. So polygamy uh, or polygyny, if it's one male, multiple females, or polyandry, if it's one female, multiple males, that's rarer. Uh, and so 
And so I think the proper way to phrase the question is what is the evolved menu of mating strategies that we have and under which circumstances do we implement each mating strategy? So it is the case that uh, behaviorally, most people pair off with one person, at least for a time. Actually, I think you know most people pair off with one person, break up, mate with another person for a time, and are relatively monogamous within those relationships. However, some people mate with multiple people, either in the form of one long-term mate with some... Uh, some cheating on the side. Yeah, yeah, or what we, what we call in the biz um, EPCs or extra pair copulations. Um, and, uh, and, and then there are some, I mean, polyamory is another, is another one that you hear a lot about in the media these days. And so I think that the, the way to frame the question is not are we monogamous or are we polygamous, uh, but rather what is the menu of mating strategies that we have? How are they different in men and women? And they are different fundamentally in men and women. And under which circumstances? Uh, and so those circumstances are things like, um, well, mate value. Those men who are high in mate value are more likely to implement a strategy of, of multiple mating. Uh, those, uh, it, you know, so so there's that. So would you say would you say it's a little bit like I think it was uh, K- uh, Chris Rock who said a man is only as faithful as his choices. So if a man, you know, if you're Hugh Hefner, if you're you know a multi-billionaire and you have the choice where women are falling all over you, or you're a really good-looking supermodel guy, you're less likely to to just settle down with one person. Yeah, yeah, I think that's absolutely true, and and the data bear that out. You know, the studies bear that out. Um, however, I, I would also say that you know, even within that, there are some men who have the opportunity, um, and that's that was Chris, Chris Rock's phrase, I believe, is you know, men are only as faithful as their opportunities. Uh, it, some men do have the opportunity and choose not to act on it, and so right. it's almost like there are some. Uh, personality or dispositional individual differences, which also influence what mating strategy someone adopts. Yeah, because Bill Gates is the has been the wealthiest man in the world for a long time, and he's stuck with, as far as everybody knows, one woman. Uh, you know, he's been married a long time. So th- there's that. And then there's Warren Buffett, the second richest man in the world. He, he ended up convincing his wife to let him have a girlfriend the whole, uh, for a good 20 years. He had two, two, he didn't have a lot, but then there's people who certainly are getting out there. I mean, here in Hollywood, you look at actors, A-list people, they're, 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 not a lot of them that are monogamous. There's some. Right. That's right. Well, that's the thing is, I mean, in, in Hollywood, you're talking about people who have a lot of opportunity. Um, and so, you know, one of the things is when you have a lot of opportunity, you have a lot of people interested. You have a lot of mate poachers around. Uh, and, you know, if you hit a you know, small bump in your relationship, people are more likely to say, hey, I have better opportunities elsewhere. Um, so, so opportunity is definitely a factor, uh, but other things affect it. Things like uh, that people are not sufficiently aware of. I think like sex ratio. So, what is the ratio of men to women in the mating pool? And when there's a surplus of women, uh, the system is more likely to shift to one of short-term mating 
and away from monogamy. So surplus of women, you get more short-term mating, uh, more breakups, more unstable long-term mating relationships. When there's surplus of men, you get the opposite. You know, men who are fortunate enough to um, to attract a woman basically hold on for dear life. That's like China right now. In China, you have a, a, an imbalance of men to women. I have some. Um, I've had an office in China for many years, contractors that work for me, and it's interesting because there, the most important thing is that you have a house. So if a man does, because it's very competitive, a woman won't even, because women have so many choices between men that if a guy's not, you know, a standout and owning his own house, I had to give one of my employees like a, like a bonus in order to him to put a down payment because he's like, man, I want to get married and this girl's never going to marry. If you come to apply, you know, if you come to Hollywood here in Los Angeles, there's more women than men. And men here, women complain you know, it's not a great place to have a relationship in New York City or in Hollywood, you know, big cities like that. Yes, that's right. Yeah, Man Manhattan's another place that absolutely there's a sex ratio imbalance. Uh, women uh, flock to Manhattan, and uh, that's why even like guys on Tinder in Manhattan, they do extremely well uh, mm -hmm. because of that sex ratio imbalance. And so, I mean, one of the ways to translate that is that uh, when you have a surplus of one sex, the rarer sex has higher mate value. So marketing to me, and I want to get your opinion on this, marketing to me at its core, because I have a lot of entrepreneurs who listen to this podcast, you have a lot of entrepreneurs who read your books. If they're listening, they ask me that question, like what makes a good marketer? How do you market your products? And I say, it's storytelling. If there's a great book called Contagious uh, by a guy named Noah Berger, who, who's a professor, he's kind of a psychologist, and he went through history and he found there's about eight themes that have always appealed to the human brain. And he said, if you read a newspaper in the 1600s, it's very similar to a newspaper now. The stories that compel us are, for example, he said things like stories of um, l people being lost and then found, like redemption stories, whether it be literally somebody lost and found or somebody who goes through a drug addiction and then comes back, and you, or Nelson Mandela. Mm -hmm. So that's a story that's sure. compelling. Uh, stories of, okay. uh, of uh, justice or injustice, uh, scandals and gossip where of hypocrisy where, you know, a, a senator who's been saying, you know, get, being gay is bad, turns out to be gay. Like these things catch our attention. And when you when you have a business, like the things I do and things you do, it, at its core, what have you found to be the most compelling type of story that you can tell? Because you sell chicken and eggs and now it's expanded to farm tours and all this. Like what's, but if you broke it down, if you could, I don't know if you ever thought about it this way, to a central yeah. theme, oh, yeah. what is that story? Oh yeah. We we spend a lot we spend a lot of time, uh, you know, trying to find that precipitate in the bottom of the bottle. You know, that's, that's the, the the core issue. And so, um, for us, consistently compelling is, um, is is your personal health. Uh, if if we have a story where you will be healthy and your children will be healthy, 
that that's a that's a that's a profound uh, uh, vision. It, it's you know it's a profound goal. The 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 second story that we find compelling is that is people want to leave the planet better off than they found it. In other words, we're you know we're living we're living in a time of of fear and scarcity. Um, you know. Kudos, kudos to Stephen Covey for you know for uh, sounding the abundance um, uh, drum. You know? <laughs> but but the truth is, the average person today, you average, the average you know person on the street you talk to, um, they are far more concerned today about running out of things. I mean, the the, the millennial generation today, the, the young people, the twenty, the college age students, I can tell you that that. Um, I, I that that I think generally more of them are interested in doing something that is beneficial for society than something that is that is personally lucrative. Um, and so the you know the three buzzwords of the millennials now is is care, community, and convenience. And um, you know they, they want to care. They say they say their parents didn't care, their grandparents didn't care. And they want they want community. They want they want tribalism. They want you know they want uh, subgroups, uh, chat rooms, blah blah blah. And and then they want it. They want everything now. They want it fast. And they've grown up on video games, and um, and they want it fast. You know, Simon Sinek is probably you know one of the one of the leading uh, uh, you know psychologists studying the, the millennial phenomenon, and um, and this convenience thing uh, means that that. We ha- that that our story, that our marketing story, has to offer uh, something pretty, you know, pretty immediate. Um, you know, carbon sequestration. Um, you know, uh, uh, um, microflora, uh, the microbiome. I mean, now all the research bringing up this whole microbiome thing. I mean, that is a huge thing. Goodness, Ty, can you? Ten years ago, if I'd have said microbiome. Everybody looked at everybody would have looked at me like I had two heads. Today, microbiome, yeah, yeah, you know that, that, that that's my that's my gut stuff, you know. <laughs> yeah, everybody every, talks about every, probiotics and kombucha yeah. and everything. You know, which sure. which one thing in marketing that's I, I think of this a lot. Um, and Polyface Farm, that's the name of Joel's farm, come to mind a lot. And there's this cycle of time. For example, <clears throat> eighteen, and I, and I really think, and I want to get your take on this. If if I'm, my number is way off base here, I think the number is one century, a hundred years. And here's what I mean: in eighteen sixty one to eighteen sixty five was the Civil War, which Joel's farm is near a lot of historic battle sites there in the Shenandoah Valley in Virginia. Um, so you know the late. The, the, Mid 1860s, the Emancipation Proclamation comes and slaves are freed. But 1960s is there were still black people. My grandma, uh, she came to the United States from Germany with her grand with her mother, which is my great grandmother. And my great grandmother was taking a bus through Texas, and she accidentally went into you know she was blonde hair believe it or not they're german she went into the colored bathroom and police came and arrested her because in germany they it's kind of ironic that germany was less segregated than uh the united states at that time but she came out and said i didn't know that there was different bathrooms so 
obviously nobody really <laughs> thinks that it's right for you know black people need different water fountains and stuff it's crazy but it yeah, took yeah. A, it's a hundred year full cycle so when you look at the organic health movement not just organic but sustainable people worried about quality of food and make food your medicine kind of thing wouldn't you say it's probably Malabar Farms uh, is a famous book. One of the guy, it's about a guy named Louis Bromfield. Wasn't that? Would you say that's forties when it really started? Yeah, but but Ty, I, yeah, I I couldn't agree with you more. You know, there there is a wonderful book, and I can't remember the title of it, but it's about it's about the century, the decade. It, it's about these five hundred, one hundred, and and fifty, and then generational cycles. And yeah. it talks about it talks about why so often children don't do what their parents do, but the grandkids do. And yes. the reason is because the kids see they grow up in it and and see all the problems with the vocation or the activity or whatever it is, but the grandchildren only see the romance of it. And right. so the so, so you have this kind of skipped generation often. And and um, and and so the century mark, yes, is one. But think about it. 1906. Think about it. 1906 was Upton Sinclair wrote The Jungle, and right. that's when Teddy Roosevelt started, you know, busting down on 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 Arm and Hammer and Swift, you know, uh, uh, the the big the big meat packers. You know, I, I think isn't it hilarious that at that time um, something like uh, eight or nine meat packers controlled 50% of the nation's um, uh, meat and, and meat and poultry uh, product and they considered that, that so they considered that monopolistic and that was oh that was horrible you know today or control 85 percent wow. and, and, and nobody even bats an eye you know yeah, um, so basically the cycle the hundred year cycle sometimes yeah. it's for good and sometimes it's for bad like 1840 i mean sorry 1940s is when really kind of the modern health movement guys like jack Lalane in the 1950s and now here we are almost at 2020 so we're almost 80 years and yeah. now it's getting hot now whole foods is big my prediction is by 2040 people will be like wait a second you mean you didn't eat grass-fed beef oh you mean you did they'll they'll be incredulous just like people are now if you said wait a second you made black people go in different bathrooms like well, that's weird you know but that's an interesting point that sometimes in a hundred years things go the wrong they get worse yeah yeah absolutely um and and generally of course um, the study of the of what I call the cultural pendulum is is critical because of the, the pendulum, as you know, uh, just like in our personal lives, our our pendulum never never hangs straight. You know, it's a little bit skewed all the time, and 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 what happens is it has to swing far enough to an to to the apogee, you know, before it finally um, before it finally corrects itself, and of course, it always overcorrects right right and and so and so culturally we see the same thing we see um, for example right now we see the the industrial food system cutting corners we see you know uh, uh, rat poop dripping off the ceiling of a peanut manufacturer in Georgia and and you you know food recalls and pathogen man we just have all these things so everything gets washed in chlorine or irradiated or whatever you know to sterilize it and all this stuff and 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 that's our 
you know, that's our, our answer at this, at this point. But that is, a, that is a very overcorrective activity, like, like antimicrobial soap. I mean, boy, you talk about a fast fad, wasn't that? I mean, remember mm-hmm. just, just 12 years ago, boy, you know, if you didn't have antimicrobial soap in the bathroom of the school, you know, you, you were guilty of child abuse. Today, it, it, it doesn't even exist because we realize that antimicrobial uh, actually makes things so sterile that it kills all the good, the good flora, fauna, microbial community. And it opens you up to additional to additional uh, uh, issues, and so one of the one of the uh, funnest oh I don't know one of the funnest speeches that I've put together in the last couple of years is uh, is Heretics Unite, and the whole thing is 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 exactly your point. It's saying we talk we laugh at our ancestors who said the earth was flat or women shouldn't be allowed to vote or slaves aren't people. Or you know any number of things, um, you know uh, uh, leeches to, to you know bloodlet. I mean, think of all the things that our ancestors did, and we, we look back at that and and just laugh at them. You know, uh, I mean, look recently, thirty years ago, you know, um, feeding dead cows to cows. Wow, that's cheaper and scientific and blah blah blah. Now you know we have bovine spongiform encephalopathy, and 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 nobody would feed dead cows to cows today. Yeah. Um, and, and so, so what I've done in this speech is there will be people in, in 50 to a hundred years that look back at us and laugh. What will they laugh at? What will right. they laugh about? Try to anticipate and, and, it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, and so, you know, I, I talk about, you know, eat exactly what you're saying, eating unpronounceable food and, and, uh, feedlots and, and, uh, spraying everything with pesticides and chemicals instead of uh, composting and pasture cropping and all the you know the new uh, systems that we have, uh, irrigating from aquifers instead of uh, built ponds to trap winter runoff and and and, and water permaculture style. I mean, there's there's a whole you know uh, a plethora of of options for all of the fears and the concerns. There 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 is an antidote for all the things that people fear today. But the orthodoxy, the orthodoxy of our day, uh, tends to define what the what the you know the solutions are, and they're generally not solutions. They're they're you know there's there's something else. They're a, they're something that simply perpetuates the the orthodoxy. Never underestimate the power of free sampling. If you study, uh, there's a great book called Born, uh, Made in America. It's the true story of Sam Walton. It's his autobiography. Sam Walton started Walmart, which in terms of making money of the last hundred years, the wealthiest man ever, more than Bill Gates and Zuckerberg and all of them was the, the founder of uh, Walmart, Sam Walton. He's worth $160 billion. He had his money divided up in trust, so it wasn't all in his name because he wanted to reduce taxes, but his total... Net worth was 160 billion if you counted up all those family trusts. So, and and if you look on the Forbes list, his family's still the wealthiest in the world. What did he pioneer? Well, you go to the store and they got samples. So I said, dude, buy 50 bucks worth of coffee, 80 bucks worth of coffee. Make a little, you already, he already had a brute, you know, he was already making his own coffee at home for himself. Make 50 cups, 
Go down to a local strip mall or a local commercial office building. Everybody loves free stuff. The most Googled, the most Googled uh, basic ad- adjective in the world is free. People type in free this, free that, free that, you know, or low price. That's why Groupon became a massively big, you know, massive company, a billion-dollar company in under two years because they weren't completely free, but they cut your costs down 70%. So that guy was like, thank you so much, Ty. Now I said, save your money. You will need that hundred grand, but maybe you don't even need to lease a building. Maybe you pioneer a whole new approach like Uber Eats to coffee. Maybe you invent a new app called, you know, coffee, coffeerun.com or something like that, or an app. That's kind of cool. People type in. And especially if you make higher quality coffee, then they can get at Starbucks and stuff. So there's an example where for a lot of you guys thinking of making money, starting your own business, what you're doing wrong is you're getting ahead of yourself. Go up one stair at a time to get to the top of the staircase. When you start leaping from one step to the next, if you don't believe me, I challenge any of you, hopefully no one is stupid enough to take me up on this, but I challenge any of you to go down to a local stadium, a local track that has concrete stairs, put your hands behind your back, and jump seven stairs at a time to the top with your hands tied behind your back. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. Half of you are going to trip, fall, break your face. We had a teacher when we were in high school. (laughs) Randy Thompson, boy, he ran up the concrete stairs with those books. He had books in his hand, and he tripped, and he landed on a concrete stair, boom, on his nose. And he says one of the worst pains, worst surgeries ever. Well, that's the equivalent of this coffee guy who's going to take a hundred grand just to open a dumb location which has no product differentiation, no new trend. Like, what's new about a coffee shop? There's coffee shops everywhere. There's no competitive edge. There's no competitive advantage. So use your brain to figure out how to go up one stair at a time. People think that I look up to people or we should admire people who take massive risks. I admire people who take smart risks. Massive risk is going to Vegas this weekend, taking your life savings, going to the, to the um, roulette table and putting it all on number five. I mean, that's a huge risk. But do you think I look up to those people? I think they're morons. I mean, you're not a moron to go to Vegas if you know you're going to... Like, I will go to Vegas and know, all right, I'm going to lose five grand and I don't care. It's just fun. You know, it's just fun, okay? So business, though, is different. This guy wasn't doing the coffee business for fun. It wanted to be his livelihood. So be very high brain intensity. I mean, use a lot of this neuro... neuro, uh, I mean, uh, they call this the MPFC right? That's the part of your brain that's logical, medial prefrontal cortex. That's what makes us different than a snail. You know, a lot of people got a damn snail brain. A snail has like the part of the brain that we have in the back, the primal brain. It's like you're, you're, obviously a snail doesn't have exactly, it's not a mammal like us, but a dog, your dog with an IQ of 30 has a brain stem. And so do we humans. And that's how most people live, just off the brainstem. They go, oh, well, uh, I want to start a business. So well, I got 100 grand that I inherited or 100 grand that I saved. Um, I want to do coffee. Uh, let's spend it all. Well, why? Why not conserve it and use it? The wise general conserves his troops and deploys them at the strategic moment. 
only the idiotic general takes his whole forces and puts them all out. If you look at guerrilla warfare throughout history in Vietnam, you know, Vietnam War, where a small country like Vietnam beat basically beat the United States. It's really the only one of the only wars that America didn't do so well in terms of we kind we didn't make we didn't say we retreated, but we did. It went, did not go well for us. Um, the Korean War. Korean War didn't go well. And if you look at what they did on the Vietnamese guerrilla warfare side, the North Korea, uh, the, the, the Northern Vietnamese Army that was communist, they basically conserved their forces. So we never knew you would go and bomb everything and they were just pouring in more forces. That's how you have to be with your money. You have to deploy it selectively as if you are a military leader of your own life. Okay, a very common question. Ty, I got 10 grand, I got 20 grand. You should be able to test your business idea for under 100 bucks. People say, no, that's not possible. I want to start an app. Well, before you do an app, make a simple lead pages web page, email it to 20 of your friends with a coming soon email address. If nobody puts their email in to get on the list for when it launches, this is probably a stupid idea. And you did it for under 100 bucks. You tested it. So the key is, when I say launch a business for under $100, there are some businesses you can't launch, but you can test, validate, pre-approve for under 100 bucks. Any idea. I'm just going to do a challenge right here. I want anybody here to disprove me. I'm open to the opposite side. I like to test my theories. So can anybody here come up with a real business? Not, don't be stupid. Some of you are stupid. Who has a, try to throw the most complicated business at me and let me see if I can come up with a way to validate a lemonade stand. Okay. I, uh, this dude ain't smart enough to know how to start a lemonade stand for under hundred bucks. You can have the worst lemonade stand in history. Insurance business. Be specific. Restaurant. Okay. Here's how to start a restaurant for under hundred bucks. Remember the restaurant industry is big, multi-billion dollar industry, but it's saturated. There's a sh- how many restaurants are there? I don't care where you live. In a third world country, there's restaurants everywhere. Or there's food trucks or people selling on the street. So what you do, invite 30 of your friends over for free food. Cook five different types of meals that you're good at. So let's say you know how to cook sushi. Cook sushi. You know how to do barbecue. Barbecue. You know how to do a vegan plate. You know, and then put the five plates out. Then stand back all night and just watch people coming. Which type of food gets eaten first? Which one do they come back for seconds? That's I bet your... it wouldn't be uh, sushi that's cooked because you don't cook okay. sushi. Thank you, Zach. I got Zach here as the fact checker. He's the myth buster. Well, I, I got you, Ty. <laughs> I Googled it real quick. <laughs> he Googled sushi. Wait a minute. What is sushi? No, but you can if your Chinese food's all gone, people all coming back and they're asking for more and they don't touch your vegan stuff, don't start a vegan restaurant. Start a sushi restaurant or start a so you can, and that costs you about a hundred bucks. For a hundred bucks, you can feed twenty people. You know, or ten. You don't even need a hundred people there. And that's your first validation. Ah, okay, I'm a little better at Chinese food. Then you can double validate. So now that's your first hundred dollars. Now you're to me. You're in business. Someone said cocaine and cocaine, et cetera. Dude, people get in the cocaine business for under 100 bucks. Come on now. That, they say cocaine and cocaine, cocaine accessories. accessories. <laughs> Car sales. Well, you can validate. You can work at basically 
car dealerships are commission based. So they're going to let you come work at a car dealership for under 100 bucks, but that's not starting your own business. A bank. Oh, you can take 80 bucks and lend it out to your friend. Then you see if you want to be in a banking business. Banks lend money and they got to get good at reading who's going to not give them the money back. That's what a bank does. A farm. Easy. Go volunteer at a farm. Easy. You can form a, put a garden in your backyard, see if you like it. T-shirt sales. You can drop ship T-shirts now. That means you don't have to pre-print the T-shirt until someone orders one. Network marketing. That definitely can be done for under 100 bucks. Now, some network marketing, you got to spend 200 bucks. But there's ones that are less. And if you're good at sweet talking, I guarantee you, you go to some network marketing and you're like, listen, da 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 they'll give you a damn kit. It all depends if you have persuasion power. Porn. You can definitely get into porn. Zach, when he was a very famous male stripper, he got in it for under 100 bucks. I don't know about very famous. What was your stripping name, Zach? Uh, Mr. Bojangles. <laughs> and nobody wants to know why he was called Mr. Bojangles. <laughs> well, it was, it was more of a, an artistic thing. Like, uh, uh, you know, I'd, I'd get up and rub grease all oh, over. Oh, God. All right, let's change the subject before we start losing followers. Followers instantly dip on all the live streams. Um, social media marketing you can certainly start for under any service-based business can be started for zero dollars insurance you can do insurance i started in insurance sales one of my businesses when i had no money girls gone wild <laughs> zach was a fluffer somebody said <laughs> is, is that uh roger what was, was that roger what oh i don't know that said I was, well, I was making the joke as oh, that I, you knew him. I knew he was in the industry and, with you. Yeah. <laughs> Open a Lamborghini store for a hundred bucks. Um, okay. You got me on that one. You can't start a Lamborghini dealership for a hundred bucks, but you can do cars. You can go buy junky car. There's people. I'll tell you. Okay. Let me take that back. You can get in the Lamborghini business. There's people who have Lamborghinis that want to consign them and swap out for a better Lamborghini. Okay, I got a Ferrari that I might be doing this on. I got a, I have a, um, a Spider. you know, now they have the 488. So I might get the uh, 488 and burst the 458. So what you do, if somebody came to me and said, Ty, I'm a master salesman, let me go out. I'll put the ads for you. You pay for it. I'll do all the grunt work for you. I'll be like your assistants helping you sell a Ferrari or a Lamborghini. I'd be like, hell yeah. And, and then he'd say, only pay me if I sell it, and then we split some of the profit. If a guy said, dude, 30% of the, what you make on reselling a Ferrari, because I, I want to swap the Ferraris. I don't care about profit. I just want a 488 without having to spend another hundred grand on it. So if a dude said, man, I'll get somebody to buy your 458 Spider, I got a red one. A lot of people want that. I'll sell it for you for 300 grand, and you can take that 300 grand and get a 488, a used 488. I'll be like, good and if there's 20 grand of profit i'd basically give the dude the whole 20 grand so you're wrong you can't you, you didn't do it correctly you can get in the ferrari and Lamborghini. you just can't start here's the deal you can get anything you want you just can't get it instantly but you can build up to it you can build up to it so you can't instantly have a lamborghini dealership but you can instantly be in the lamborghini sales business online casinos yeah you can do uh, dude online casino again my business partner, John DeWar, when he was 12 years old, 
had a casino <laughs> running in the attic of his house. He was making, this is crazy, he was making two to four grand a month in like the 70s <laughs> at 12. And then his, which is a crap load of money when you're 12, because you got no bills. And he, his brother, older brother got jealous and set it on fire one day. And that was the end of his business. But he started that for under 100 bucks. Ty, what about starting a gym? Again, you can get anything you want, but you can't get the total thing instantly. So you can't start a full-on gym for 100 bucks. What you can do is become a personal trainer for under 100 bucks. If you're in a little bit better shape than everybody, you can charge three of your buddies or three older people or three fat people. You can be like, listen, I work out at 6 in the morning. I'll come. We'll meet at the park. You know, you can. there's so many gym stuff things that were at the park. You go to a free space and you say, we'll meet you in the gym and we'll do a CrossFit or we'll do like a, you know, one of these kind of all natural workouts where we'll do push-ups, sit-ups, the Marine thing. And you lead it. You start that for under $100. You start that for $0. Somebody else, what else? What about a book? You can certainly write a book for under $100. I can, there's nothing, there's no industry you can't validate and test. Who here, is there anybody who has an intelligent argument for why you think we should not be tearing down statues. Let's start with the with the not so popular side. Zach and Rome are here. You can interject. Or is any do you, either of you take the stance that there's nothing wrong with the statues? I mean, I believe they should be torn down. So Rome is more on my side. Tear yeah, the things I, down. Yeah, I believe they serve no purpose. They're equated with history. I mean, with uh, racism, and we still deal with that today. So why, right. why, why, why rub why, it in? Yeah, why would you keep them up? I mean, okay. I understand some people from the South relate to it as Southern pride and so on and so forth. But when you have dealt with it, right. then it has a different impact. If you've never dealt with it, then. Right. You know, you're probably not going to, you probably don't even really get it. But if you've dealt with racism, then you have a better understanding of it. And for those of you listening and not looking, Rome is African American. So he's given an opinion (laughs) from somebody who's dealt with it before. (laughs) And we're going to go here to Zach, who is the opposite of African American. He is (laughs) very pale. In fact, we have to adjust the contrast on the monitor because no one can see him. They, they call me into white balance, the cameras. <laughs> so what's, what's your opinion here? Um, I, well, I definitely think it's a, it's a very uh, complex issue. I don't think it's simple. Um, I don't think we should be tearing them down, but not from a place of supporting... Uh, what the Confederacy stood for. Um, so you're I more on the I history side, just keep them up more, as historical? More, I think more for the history element aspect of it. I do think that uh, uh, there, there's a lot of stuff that I think should be factored in, such as the people, Robert E. Lee, for example, it was his statue, I believe, was the one in Charlottesville, yep. Virginia. Um, he was against slavery. It wasn't... It he wasn't was just a fighting thing. because it was his homeland. Right. And I, I feel like that uh, sometimes people 
Is that just, actually true? He couldn't have been completely against slavery. He fought well, for the South. He act, well, he, when his father passed away, uh, he inherited his father's slaves, and he freed them freed immediately. Them, right. Yes, so, but he didn't want, he did not agree with the North, which wanted mass emancipation for all people. He didn't want the well, North to I be think, able to tell. I think, uh, I, I'll read, I, I'm, I could be, and feel free to correct me, but um, his his perspective was that he supported his home state of Virginia. Right. And it was for states' rights. It was more against um, the, the the federalism or, or federal overreach. Right. So, um yeah, I think you have. In other words, I don't think you just go. You, uh, that's not the divide. I think between North and South, because you did have people in the North that also were owners, and then you had people in the South that were not supportive of it. So, um, Bryce Davis, ninety nine, Zach on yours says the Civil War was more was about a lot more than just slavery. So that's what some people say. That the but Civil War that's was, not to dis. No, he's on your to, side. Yeah, no, I know. Yeah. But I'm saying that's not to say. Um, or it's not to diminish that variable of what was in the Civil War. Uh, I, so I, I feel like it's it's dangerous to start tearing down the history because I think what we can do is also look at it. Um, I think something that could be factored in is the fact that we went to war to end it. We were one of the first major countries to actually, I think Britain was the first, right? To yeah, well, end Britain didn't the Atlantic go to war. slave trade. Britain just. But we actually went to a, a war to, there were people that died to end it. Um, so yeah, but I, you're I not don't commemorating think, I don't think, them. You're well, there's, no, there's statues. No, of, but they're not tearing down ones of Ulysses Grant, who was a slave owner. Yeah, but he fought on the he fought no, on the I, I understand that. But everybody so I'm my point you. my point was saying I, I would take the side of not tearing it down is more for the history of it. We're, but can't I don't you think just you have them in museums? Can't history. you just have them in museums? Why did that? Well have you a know what? Statue? I'm actually I wouldn't be opposed to uh, uh, somebody uh, the government or somebody uh, having some sort of uh, I don't know if you'd call it a law, but to remove them. I'm more, I don't like the the uh, going and tearing it down and the kicking and the the um, So you're the saying if they do it at are, night, it's fine. Well, I'm not saying behind closed doors, but I, I think do it peacefully. Why not have people vote on it? And if and if the state votes on it to take the statue down, you do that. Well, I we think, see what happened last time. People took votes. We ended up with a president who... <laughs> <laughs> Rome well, is not a but, big Trump but, fan. Uh, well, but let's go but, to... Hold on one second. Let's go to the, let's go to the live cameras. We got Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter live. Okay. Somebody said... <laughs> Someone said, statue lives matter. Uh, probably not. Okay. Why were the only ones that cared enough to protest to keep up were dressed in KKK Nazi gear? Keep the statues so we don't remember what we did wrong. That's what someone said. The statues need to be moved somewhere in the city where they can be explained. The North wasn't really fighting to free slavery till the end, Bryce Davis says. Take them down and put them in the ocean, Raymond Ruiz says. Now, I'll tell you this. Um, to play devil's advocate, I'm not sure the biggest problem in America is the statues. So just to bring this a little bit back to the original conversation about business, how to start a business for 100 bucks, being smart and all that, which led to this Confederate conversation. It's very easy in life to misprioritize things. In fact... <laughs> <laughs> 
in my experience, everybody on here watching probably is somewhat intelligent, right? Even though there's still a lot of bit stupid. Intelligent, let's put it this way, more intelligent than my German Shepherd dogs. German Shepherds have IQs around 40 or 50. Everybody here, trust me, if you were able to press the button on your iPhone or Android to watch this, you have at least 100 IQ, okay? Under like about 70, you're literally handicapped people have like 70, 60. So everyone here is smarter than an animal. Even the smartest animal is not as smart as the dumbest person in, on here in terms of logical powers, potential. What are the most pressing American issues? If we rank them right now and we get a bipartisan group on both sides, 1 to 20, 1 is the most important issue down to 20 is you know the 20th most important. Are statues in there? So that's why I say, to me, they're not in the top 20. They might be in the top 50, but since they're so easy to remove, just go ahead and remove them, and I think it shouldn't be such a big conversation. Now, somebody could argue and say, but Ty, it's symbolic of a rise against racism. So fine, so do it. But still, as somebody, I'm not black and I'm not white, I'm a mix of multi, multiple things. Those statues ain't going to fix the inner cities. They're not going to fix white poverty. They're not going to fix political infighting. They have nothing to do with North Korea blowing up. They ain't Barcelona. We got people mowing people down in cars. It's not going to fix economic policies. It's not going to fix the fact that there's $1.2 trillion of college debt in America. That's a big problem. $1.2 trillion. We've burdened the next generation with $1.2 trillion, and they think it's higher to $2 trillion. We have a president situation which half of America is, or maybe more, is absolutely hates. I've never seen this much hate against a president. 34% approval rating. 34 right. So let's say there's 50 Lowest or 60%. Any, any sitting president ever. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a tremendous... But there's also people who love Donald Trump. So we have extremely... Remember what caused the Civil War? An extremely divided country. So... Are we going to go into civil war? I mean, you see it a little bit, obviously not even at 1% of the scale of the Confederate war, but I mean the civil war, but you have, you know, people in Charlottesville, some of these people you probably know, the kids at school, people are marching with swastikas. So to me, the bigger question is not really the statues. It's all that's going on around it. And I just want to say, like I said, this is more of a business podcast, but I do talk about current events that it's very important that in life, practical advice, when you wake up, take a yellow notepad. I don't know why I like yellow notepads. I once read Bill Gates figured out how to build Microsoft on nine yellow notepads. So I was like, if it was good enough for Bill Gates, become the richest man in the world, I'll use yellow one. So I always buy yellow notepads. I buy some Bic cheap pens, sit in a chair every day for 15 minutes. This is very hard to do. I mean, this is hard. 99.99% of the planet doesn't do this. Sit in a chair and prioritize the day. Because what inevitably happens is we do what's easiest first. That's why people procrastinate. So I think it's very easy on our personal level, as an entrepreneur, business owner, a parent, a family, whatever you are, it's easy for you to go, oh, that's the loudest. We should focus. There's a saying, the squeaky uh, wheel gets the oil. So right now, the statue thing is 
dominant in the news. I mean, the news right now is about Steve Bannon, O'Bannon today, you know, was fired by, it's Steve O'Bannon, right? Steve Bannon. Yeah, Steve Bannon, not O'Bannon, sorry. Um, You know, he's fired, he goes back to Breibart or whatever the name of that right-wing thing, and we got the Confederate things, and we got Alex Jones being coffee thrown on him. (laughs) This is not the most important thing. I'll tell you what's important in America that should be fixed, in my opinion. So if I was sitting down with a yellow notepad and I was not thinking necessarily about my own life and business, but I was, you know, whatever, involved in politics, which I'm not, I would go like number one, educational system. Because countries rise and fall based on the quality of the education, how smart the people are. Trust me, that contributes to GDP. It's directly related. If people are stupid, in terms of when I say stupid, not trained, ignorant, left in the dark, you don't solve anything. You will have high crime. If you look at parts of Chicago or parts of Arkansas, I'm not even talking about black versus white because there's white poverty, black poverty, Latin. You go to Mexico where there's Spanish poverty. Wherever there's ignorance, you have massive crime. Where do you think crime comes from? Poverty, my friend. So what's the most important thing in America? Probably fixing the education system. We got a crappy one. Number two, we have a big problem. There's not enough hospitals in America. I just saw this crazy report where people in rural countries just die like they're giving birth there's no doc there's no they call them food deserts food desert means there's if you go in some ghetto parts of america even here in la if you go down towards south central la i go down there sometimes when i'm going to the laker games i drive through that area there's no rest there's no grocery stores you know what there is liquor stores and payday loans and exploitative-type businesses. That's a big problem. You can't have a large swath of your country, 50, 60 million people in that kind of... That's not a civilized civilization. Um, so that's, that's, that's higher than statues, if you ask me. How about the criminal justice system in America? I just read about a dude, a black guy who got out of prison. He's been served. He has served since 1994, 23 years. He has been in prison for a supposed rape, and right when they did DNA, the scientist says it is mathematically impossible for this man to be, so they let him out and gave him like a thousand bucks. Hey, we took 23 years of your life. Now, we've had DNA testing for a solid uh, 20 years, but you know what? It costs money, and the government's too busy spending money on tearing down statues and building more military complexes sometimes. Then they are. What's worse than falsely imprisoned? Just think of anyone here. What is worse than 23 years falsely imprisoned? A fucking statue? Are you stupid as shit? That's my question for you. Are you stupid? If you had a choice, 23 years, since 1994, you are in prison for a crime you didn't commit that they could get you out, but nobody's going to spend the money on a simple $1,000 DNA test, but yet the media and all of the activists are super hyped about a statue. Statues don't do shit. They're inanimate objects. So you see, there's two ways to be wrong. One is to do the right thing at the wrong time. So my argument against the statues, like I said, take them down. It shouldn't be a damn conversation. Just take them apart and focus on the other things.
Okay, let's do this one. Somebody said their biggest problem is lack of goals. Who here watching or listening in struggles with procrastination, goal setting, and goal achieving and not giving up? And and I'll just give you, I got a little formula I keep in the back of my head to help me with that because everybody deals with that. Procrastination is solved by ambition. So if you're writing this down, you can make like a little arrows as Zach is doing now as he writes. Procrastination then put an arrow because the way to get away from procrastination, follow the arrow to the next one, which is ambition. Okay. Now, uh, sorry, sorry. I skipped a step. Procrastination and then the arrow to motivation, right? The opposite of procrastination is motivation. Then do another arrow to the right of motivation, the word, and put ambition. Now, to the right of ambition, how do you get more ambition? To the right of that, put one word, most important word in this conversation, vision, vision. So basically, the only way to overcome procrastination is not to try to motivate yourself. It's not to become more ambitious. That has to come, but you can't work on it directly. The last step, which is really the first step, is increase your vision. So here's what I mean by that. Jeff Bezos, when he worked at his office job before he started Amazon and he's now the third richest man in the world. He literally could see in his imagination where Amazon could go. He's like, I could have, you know, I could start out selling books. Then once I sell books and he had vision, he was like, you know what? People like to go stores, but eventually why would you want to go to a store if I could deliver it in a package? But how do I get it to people quick enough? You can go to the store same day. And then he had the vision. He goes, one day, maybe I'll be able to deliver it in drones the same day. You see, he saw, this is in the 1990s. He had the vision to imagine what he'd be doing in 2017. So for each of you that are struggling with goals, struggling with procrastination, struggling with motivation, just work on one thing, your imagination. The imagination, which gives you vision. So if you want to write one more arrow to the right of the word vision, write imagination. People can, can imagine things before they happen, okay? Those are the people who will do big things in life. What's a good way to find out or to understand um, that balance between being an idealist and a realist? When do you realize, hey, these aren't just obstacles I need to figure out how to overcome, but... I should actually stop. Stop? You mean over-imagining? No, no, not imagining, but um, um, in, in, trying, in trying to get something done. So give an example, like pretend hypothetical. You wanted to do what? What are you struggling? What step? Uh, if someone is trying to start a business okay, um, and they just can't seem to get any, they can't make any headway. Or actually a good example would be Sylvester Stallone. Okay. So he was turned down a lot mm-hmm. for his movie. But he stuck with, he, he was passionate about his career. He would not listen to people tell him no. Arnold, uh, Arnold would be a great example too. So how do you know when you're having the American Idol syndrome? Right. Or oh, when, when, right, right, right. So basically when you're imagining something that's never going to happen. So for example, if you're 60 years old and you imagine you're going to play pro soccer, it ain't going to happen. So, yes. But that's an obvious one. No, 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 no. But I'm just saying, for example, just because you imagine it doesn't mean you can do it. 
That's what Zach's saying. How do you know when you're imagining something you ain't going to be able to do? And that is a good question. I would say about 30% of people imagine too much. And so I was speaking to the 70% who don't. If Here's how you know. And this answer is both sides. When you start imagining, you must start doing at the same time. So I'm not a big fan. I literally, this is what I do. I basically imagine for half the day and do stuff for the other half. It's a great little formula. It's called the 50-50 formula. I use it for many areas of life. So basically, if you want to start a business, you spend the morning, let's say you wake up at 9 o'clock, spend from 9 to 1 sitting in a chair, or I like to play basketball by myself, and I got a court in the back, and I don't like anyone around. I just go back there by myself, and I just sit there and think, or I'll go, I just got one of these watt exercise machines. It's like a bike that... I guess theoretically generates electricity if you wanted to. But I go on that thing and I just daydream. And then I spend the second half of my day doing this stuff. So then what will happen is if your imagination is rampant, it's too wild, it's too big, you're imagining, oh, I'm going to play pro basketball. Well, the first half of the morning, you daydream about playing pro basketball. The second half, you show up at the clicker, at the Clippers D-League or the Lakers D-League and you say, yo, I'm good. And then you take one shot and the coaches are like, you will never play basketball. <laughs> and then next day, dream something else. That's, that is my answer. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. So just make sure you balance the thing. 50-50. Excitement attracts others, Rebecca Nam says. Yes, in attracting a team. But actually, let me go back. Actually, Nolan Pala said, cool method, Ty. Uh, Yep. Going back to the example of a rock, uh, Sylvester Stallone, when he's told by professionals, you ain't got it, dude. Yes. He didn't listen, yeah. and he was proven right. Yes. So here's the deal. When you take Sylvester Stallone, his acting, here's the key. You got to be intelligent and go, is this something that it's logical that I wouldn't be able to do? See, acting, there's a crap load of actors that aren't the best actors that are the most famous. I mean, The Rock is a very entertaining guy, but he's not going to win an Academy Award, but, or he hasn't yet. Maybe he will one day, but he's very successful. So you have to know your field. If the field is starting a business, trust me, almost any business to make a million bucks, anybody can do. In fact, the average multimillionaire, there's a good book called The Millionaire Next Door. It's a study of millionaires in the United States and what they're like. And most of them do not have a super high IQ. They're slightly intelligent, but not super intelligent, okay? So when it comes to Rocky going, my vision, I can just see myself in this movie about a boxer, and all the pros are like, nah. They're not saying no because you don't have the aptitude. They're saying nah because they already got another actor that they know. So you got to know your field. If you're trying to be a pro athlete, it's more than just vision. You need to be born a certain way for the most part most pro basketball players are abnormally tall and there's a there's something in the human brain called tracking skills and so if you were to take lebron james or a pro soccer player like Messi or ronaldo or neymar and you put them under a brain scanner machine they can do this thing called um, projecting and tracking and it comes from our ancient ancestors most of people think our ancestors all came from africa and they could take a spear and there would be a running animal like a you know, lion or a gazelle or something. And they could 
predict where the animal was going to be and throw the spear. And the, the hunters who had the more powerful eye, okay, the hunter with the most powerful eye would be able to kill the most animals. Well, professional sports are basically people descended from those top hunters. So basketball, you're moving, you're shooting a fadeaway, you got somebody in front of you. People like LeBron James, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, they have tremendous tracking skills. Plus, you know, I was just played on a celebrity football team with Kevin Durant last Saturday or two Saturdays ago. He's also immensely tall and no body fat, which is very rare to be seven foot. He's about 6'11 and a half is my guess. And he has tracking skills, perfect vision. It, it's just, you can't be that except by the grace of God, basically, or the grace of your DNA. But some, most things that you want to do in life don't matter at all. Starting a business, people go, I'm a woman. I'm a, someone said, I'm 17 years old. I'm like, doesn't matter. It don't matter at all. No one cares. So I think the answer, Zach, is it's, it's industry specific. That's my answer. $100. Let's say you got $100 you won in my PayPal giveaways that I do. How do you start a business? Well, if you listened earlier, I talked about how you can make a prototype. I talked about walking before you jump up too many steps and fall on your face trying to start too big of a business. Do not invest your full life savings in something that's not validated. So let's talk a little bit more on how to validate an idea. Okay. Validation means this. Zach, you, Zach likes Tinder. Are you still on Tinder? <laughs> Zach likes Tinder. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if I've I... I've never I met a girl off Tinder, but Zach is a big Tinder Tinderizer. That's oh. what I call him. <laughs> uh, I've met a lot. You've met a lot. Okay. So... But it's for research. Oh, what are you researching exactly? The, the female psyche. <laughs> All right. No comment on that. Um, mating habits. Mating. <laughs> okay. Oh, and you also you. What's the other one you use besides Tinder? Bumble. Oh man, uh, there's Bumble. There's Okay Cupid. There's Match. What's the best one for you, Zach? Which one? which one has been the the best proven one for you? Um, for marriage material, I would say you stand a, a greater chance with the eHarmony. And if we're going to go between Bumble and Tinder, I will say that the, the lovely ladies on Bumble are a little more serious-minded, serious relationship. Which Whereas one? Does one have more attractive? Tinder. What has the most attractive physically, not necessarily the most serious? Uh, I think just because of numbers, it'd be Tinder because there's, I think, more on Tinder than on Bumble. So Tinder. I think the numbers are because Zach is shallow. He told me. <laughs> what so are you gonna do? <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm just I'm making up for lost time. All right. So, Zach, if what's the principle? Before you get married, you have to date. It's not a good idea to meet a girl off Tinder, meet a girl off Bumble, and go to Vegas and get married. Have you ever thought of doing that, Zach? Be honest. No. Good hell no. No. No, not. You've never it, thought this is the girl 
that I love so much. You never had love at first sight? Hell and no. All right. Not that, at first. No, that's not true. Actually, I have twice. I love how Zach twice. goes never. Actually, seven times. <laughs> One last month. He has a, August 14th. Well, it, it takes my brain a little bit longer to respond when we're talking about actual love. But let's, let's relate this to business. A lot of people get married to a business concept before they date it. So validating your business idea for under $100 is literally like going on a date. Do you spend more than $100 on a date? It depends on what we're doing. Uh, In if, general. If, what, if what do you think you spend? We're meeting at my hotel room. Yeah, it's a lot more than 100 bucks. <laughs> if it's local. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, I definitely try to cap it off at like, you know, less than a hundred bucks. Yeah, on the you first don't day. really think about that. No, but I'm saying you go to coffee. You don't well, go yeah, to not, big stuff. Yeah, you go yeah, to dinner. You go to sushi. Not going to Boa <laughs> yeah. on the first date. Yeah. So what you do? You got to earn that flame. I got a friend who always is like dating these like the worst kind of girls in Beverly Hills in L.A. Just, and he's like, <laughs> he goes, he said a girl asked him like, uh, you better take me to like whatever. There's a place called um, what did she say? Yeah, Boa or. You know, expensive. Boa is a very expensive steakhouse in LA or um, Katana or Katsuya. And I'm going, dude, that's an automatic rejection of that. Any girl who's like, uh, on our first date, you will spend 500 bucks on me. I'd what'd be that, like, what that comedian say, Ty? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to say that. <laughs> you want the surfing turf that comes with. <laughs> All right, I won't say that's that. steak and lobster. <laughs> I like that somebody commented, Jesus is awesome, right in the middle of this. Okay, thank you for staying on topic. But the point is, when you start your business, the reason I like to tell people to start it for under 100 bucks is the same principle as dating. So let's say you want to start a coffee shop. You want to start a food truck. You want to start a T-shirt shipping business. You want to make money on the Internet. You want to become a public speaker. You want to, you know, start your own uh, car detailing business. You want to start your own social media marketing agency. That's something I've taught over 20,000 people to do in the last seven months how to, how to start an agency. I'm like, if it costs too much money, it's a warning that, oops, it's a warning that you're making a huge freaking mistake. Just like if your friend comes to you and says he's spent $10,000 on a girl on the first date and he's decided this is the girl he wants to be with for the rest of his life. If you date enough business ideas for under 100 bucks, Let's say you date 10 business ideas, test them, see if you like them. Then you spend under a thousand bucks and you'll know which one you like. And by the way, uh, there's a good book called The Mathematics, I think it's like The Mathematics of Sex by this mathematician lady named Cleo, I forget her full name, but she says the magic number before you get married, you should have 12 relationships or date 12 people. And then you take the next best the person who's after the 12, you don't marry any of them and you marry then the next person who comes along who's better than any of those 12. So the first 12 create what's called a baseline. You need a baseline to understand. So same with starting a business. If you start and you devote your life to the first business that you begin, you probably don't have a good baseline as to the different ideas you could be doing, you know? So a lot of people become good at the wrong thing. Joel Salton, my mentor, used to say, the worst thing in life is to grow old and realize you got good at the wrong thing. And interestingly enough, I got this cool psychology. I read a lot of textbooks, and I read a psychology textbook that said the 
What do you think are the top three regrets, Rome and Zach, of the average human adult who's, let's say, I don't know, 60 years old when they look back? Top three. What would you guess? I don't know what the top three would be. I think one would be, though, um, things that they wanted to do, to, but they just didn't, they didn't do, do it. it. Yeah, they procrastinated. Right. What those things are could vary. So. Zach? Taking risks. Taking risks. So I think those are good. I, this particular study said... Education. The career they chose, the education, like major yes. they chose, and who they married. These are huge. Because it's like Rome said. It's like the things you didn't do. Because when you think, oh, my God, I married this person, but I really was in love with that girl, but I wasn't, you know, didn't have the balls to ask her out. It's the same with careers. Oh, I, there was someone in my family that always wanted to start a restaurant, and they stayed with the boring job doing computer programming and they hated it. They were a social person and they stayed all the way, but they couldn't quit because retirement was coming up. And if I quit now, I won't get my pension and blah, blah. And they just became 65 years old and look back going, Oh my God, how many chances do I get? I got one. Uh, Dwight Eisenhower's wife, or no, no, no. Teddy Roosevelt's wife said, what was her name again? Why can't I remember? Uh, I was going to say Eleanor, but I think that yeah, was Eleanor. Franklin's. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. FDR's wife, Eleanor Roosevelt, said, life is like a parachute jump. You only get one chance. You can't jump, forget the parachute. You, you, you don't go back up. And so the biggest regrets we have are around not seeing the possibilities of all the different people we could have dated or married and marrying the wrong one. At least, I would guess, just going to guess, at least 50% of people marry the wrong person and my proof would be about 50% of uh, women and men cheat on their husband or wife and get divorced so it's probably not the world's greatest marriage so at least 50% now when it comes to job career you have a lot of choices in the model world basically you can go into almost any industry Okay, even if you can't play pro basketball you could go in the sports industry as a newscaster or you know as a manager or a coach or something so there's a vast array. Each of us has at least 200 career choices, right? But the problem is, guess what the problem is? Most people don't know how to date, so they marry the first career that comes along. And that's important. So I, want, I would love to create a world of more experimenting, you know? More, more people who are a little bit more of a mad scientist. Like, are you a mad scientist of your life? Or are you just going, well, I mean, my biggest regrets, without a doubt. Somebody asked me the other day my biggest mistakes in business and stuff. And they were asked if I ever went bankrupt. And I was like, knock on wood, I haven't yet. You know, but I was like, my, I do have regrets. They're just like, I should have done this a long time ago. I should have dated more. That's why a lot of people go, Ty. Well, is this a scam? Should I try to start a social media marketing agency? Should I try to invest in real estate? My advice is do it all so you can figure out what the hell you like. You got to put in some time, some money, some that's called investing. Investors put money into shit even though it might not work out, but they know if they try enough stuff, one of the deals will pop and they'll be super wealthy. That's literally, literally the definition of a good investor. Like a good investor puts money in various places 
knowing that one of, they'll throw a net out, knowing that fish will be one fish will get caught somewhere. And you only need to get rich once. 